Acts chapter 18, verses 18 through 28. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centurae, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail for Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Pergia, strengthening all the disciples. And now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, through grace, had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Redeemer. It's good to see you this morning. Again, I want to echo Eric and say I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving, and I hope that your Black Friday was full of great deals and minimal violence. A day like Black Friday makes me really thankful for the internet, where I can do all my shopping from my couch. If this is your first time with us on a Sunday morning, or if you're just in town visiting family, I want to say a special welcome to you. We're really grateful that you would choose to join us for worship this morning, so thank you for being here. Uh, To add one more announcement to those that Eric listed earlier, uh, today we actually have a welcome lunch for anyone who is relatively new to the church, looking to meet a few more people, looking to eat a free meal, looking to ask any questions about Redeemer. For more information about that, you can actually go out to that Connect table right after the service. They'll give you more information. It's, It's hosted at the house of one of our elders. We would love to treat you to a meal, get to know you better. If you have a Bible this morning, you can open up with me to our text, which Stephen just read for us, Acts 18, verses 18 through 28. We're taking a quick one-week break from our series on Ephesians to spend one week here in the book of Acts. And now when Stephen was reading this passage, you might have listened and looked at the verses and said, so where exactly are we going here? What's, uh, where's Marshall going to go out of Paul's travel log? Paul gets a haircut. Apollos is preaching, but he's got something wrong. What's going on here? Is this just the, uh, they gave the pastoral resident the weird passage kind of thing? You know, lead pastors love to do that. The college pastor, the associate pastor, they say, hey, you, uh, you take this one. But no, I actually chose this passage because uh, as I've studied this book and this passage over the last couple years living here in the area, uh, I've been really struck by just how relevant the truths found in these verses are for us here and now. For us as we seek to be the church of Jesus Christ in, in this area, in this age. And here's what I mean by that. In this passage, we find incredible practical wisdom about what it looks like to be a faithful and fruitful church in a transient place. And we do live in a transient place, don't we? 
If you're not familiar with that word, transient simply means lasting for only a short amount of time, temporary. And when applied to a place like Metro DC, it means having a lot of people who don't put down roots, having a lot of people who are essentially just passing through, here for a few years and then moving on. Of course, it's not just our area that can be defined by transients. We live in an incredibly transient age in general. Several factors play into this, increasing urbanization, uh, a de-emphasis on some kinds of familial obligations like learning the family trade, taking on the family business. Uh, the draw in cities like this of employment and entertainment and influence. And then once they get here, the unsustainable work pace and the cost of long-term housing and raising a family that, that leads people to leave. Another factor is just that it's easier than ever to move from place to place. Now you can book a flight rather than chartering a ship across the Atlantic or packing up for the Oregon Trail. But while it's not only our area that is marked by transients, our specific community does rank as one of the most transient in the United States. One study published in 2016 found that DC ranked fourth in the percentage of the population that moved away over the course of a single year. In one year, over 7% of the population of this area moved elsewhere. And yet, at the same time, just last year marked the 13th consecutive year of population growth overall. You're like, Marshall, I'm not a numbers guy. What are you talking about? Big picture, a lot of people are moving away and even more people are moving in. That's transience. And this is the context in which we live and the context in which Redeemer exists. And so it has massive implications for us as a church. There are questions here that we have to wrestle with. How do we pursue the mission of God and the vision of our church in an age of transience? How should you engage with the church if you know that you're only here for a few years? How do we best serve our neighbors and find the motivation to invest our time and our energy in caring for someone new when they could be gone next month? These are important questions for us to consider, and this passage is a great help for us as we wrestle with these realities. So here's where we're going this morning. We're going to walk back through these verses, break down some things, seek some better understanding as we go verse by verse, and then we're going to apply what we find here uh, to us. And specifically, I have a word of application both to, to two groups, the mobile, the people who are here for a good time, not a long time, and a word to the rooted, the people who are here and staying. And if you don't know how long you're going to be here, there's wisdom for everyone in between. So let's jump in. Pick up with me in verse 18. We're starting here with Paul. Paul, who is the former enemy of the church, now a missionary church planter traveling from city to city. We pick up as he leaves the city of Corinth. And the author of Acts, Luke writes, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him, Priscilla and Aquila. At Centria, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. So let's pause there. Two, two notes First, okay, really, what is up with Paul's holy haircut? Why do we need to know about this? It, it's not, it doesn't have a ton of bearing on the, the main point here for this morning, but I think it can be confusing, and I really like to, to address these things as they come up, not to just breeze over the things that might be confusing. Why is it significant for us to know that Paul cut his hair? Well, in Jewish tradition, alongside the same kind of fasting that we still practice today, when we set aside a time where we're going to take some time to, rather than 
eating during this time. We're gonna devote ourselves more fully to seeking the will of God, to seeking the presence of God, to seeking more time in prayer and devotion to God. Well, alongside that kind of fasting from food, there were also Jewish traditions that uh, methods of devotion that involved not only what you ate, but also how you dressed or groomed yourself. So this verse is simply noting that Paul had made a vow not to cut his hair during a season of particular devotion. We don't know the full details behind it, just that the time had been completed, and so hence Paul's holy haircut. Moving on, more relevant to what we're discussing this morning, who are Priscilla and Aquila? Well, these two are husband and wife. They're tent makers by trade, and they're traveling companions and close friends of Paul. And what's so important for us to realize uh, when we read about Aquila and Priscilla is how vital they were to the life of the church and to the ministry of Paul, even though their path and their ministry looked so different compared to Paul's. Here's what I mean. We, we don't have any books written by Aquila and Priscilla. We don't have any recorded sermons from them or accounts of them standing up to preach in front of a crowd like we see Paul doing so often. And when they first meet Paul in Corinth, Paul is there because God has explicitly called him and the church has commissioned him to go from city to city and name Christ where he's never been named. Aquila and Priscilla, on the other hand, are there because they used to live in Italy with their tent-making business, but then the emperor forced everyone of Jewish heritage out of Rome, and so they packed up and moved to Corinth to continue making a living there. See, their path and their ministry looked so very different compared to Paul's, and yet we see that they too were so actively engaged in and vitally important to the church, crucial as partners for Paul in his ministry, even though they weren't called or gifted in the same way as him. This is important for us to realize, church. You don't have to preach a sermon to make disciples. You don't have to get a seminary degree to serve the church. You don't have to leave your career behind to care for people and to play your part in helping this church to thrive. So then Paul leaves Corinth to head to Ephesus and Aquila and Priscilla say, hey, we can pack up this tent making business. We're mobile. We can go anywhere. We'll go with you. And so they pack up and they go with Paul. Back to verse 19, it says that they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking his leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. And the, the verses go on to say that he went to Caesarea and then he went to Antioch. And through all these regions, everywhere he went, he went from place to place, strengthening all the disciples. So Paul is doing some serious couch surfing. Here's what we need to see in the midst of all this movement from place to place. No matter where he is, Paul is absolutely certain of his purpose. No matter the place, Paul is certain of his purpose. He's laser focused. He, he has a kind of clarity about what he's supposed to be doing no matter where he is, no matter what response he gets or setbacks that he faces. He's not always sure what it's going to look like in each city, but he knows what he's supposed to be doing, sharing the gospel, making disciples, and serving the church. You see, in, in the midst of the incredible complexity of the world around him, Paul's life is directed by a divine simplicity. Sometimes I think that we can fall into a trap of modernity of just looking at Paul and saying, well, Paul lived so many 
thousands of years ago, the world was so much simpler, his life was so much simpler, but that's just not true. There were different kinds of complexities, sure, but every city that he goes to is culturally different from the last. And so it requires the gospel to be proclaimed in a way that is coherent and engaging to a new audience. Every church has different strengths to celebrate and issues to address for him. Every audience responds to the gospel in its own way. In one city, tons of people believe in Jesus and get baptized. In another city, they drag Paul outside and try to stone him to death. We also know from his letters that just like us, Paul had to manage the complexity of relationships. Friendships that were great and friendships that had great brokenness in them. And he also had to manage the physical stress of travel, persecution, sickness, and age. Like ours, Paul's life and Paul's world were also hectic and complex. But in the midst of that, Paul is driven by the simplicity of his calling. He can say, wherever I am, whatever I'm facing, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. Caring for people, sharing the gospel, serving the church. One of my favorite examples is actually found in the book of Philippians when Paul is writing from prison and he says to the church, I want you to know that what's happened to me here, me being in prison, has really just advanced the gospel because the whole imperial guard has heard about Jesus now. You see this attitude? Even in prison, Paul is saying, hey, if you guys are going to keep me locked up in here, everybody in this prison is about to hear about Jesus. I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I just have to figure out how to start doing it here. And so we'll come back to that idea when we get to application. But for now, let's keep moving. We come to verse four and a new man is introduced to us. A new character comes onto the scene in verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. And what does the text tell us about Apollos? Well, before we go any further, I want us to see something as we read Apollos's biography here, right? This is like the back of the book blurb about Apollos. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He was fervent in spirit. He taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. Here's what I want us to see. Paul leaves and the church says, are you, are you sure you don't want to stay? And he says, no, God is calling me on. Can you imagine the, the concern of the believers at Ephesus in this moment? Well, who, who's going to step in now that Paul is leaving? You can imagine their concern. There's a void now. There's a role that Paul was filling, a way that he was serving, specifically this role of public preaching and teaching. But in the next few verses, in the very same way that God creates this need, he then provides for that need. As he directs Paul from one place to another, he directs Apollos to Ephesus. See, God is sovereign over the movement of his people and he uses this movement to provide for the needs of his church. Just as Paul departs, Apollos arrives, a man whose gifts and passions and experience are exactly what the church needs. And this is how God still operates. He provides for the needs of his church by placing his people where their gifts and their passions and their experiences have prepared them to meet needs where they are. You know that we're coming back to that in application, but let's keep moving to finish these verses. Verse 25, 
At the end of verse 25, interestingly, we're told, Apollos, although he had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he taught accurately concerning Jesus, he knew only the baptism of John. Verse 26 goes on to say, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. So this is an interesting, does it seem like a contradiction? Does it seem like a paradox? Attention here to say that he'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and taught accurately, and yet he knew only the baptism of John. You might rightly be wondering, how is it that Apollos could know only the baptism of John, but still teach accurately? How can it be accurate if he is mistaken about something? How do we make sense of this? Well, we see that although there was some theological misunderstanding here that is significant enough for Aquila and Priscilla to teach him more accurately, we can also conclude that he's not preaching a false gospel. He's not preaching some kind of heresy because the author, Luke, has just said he was teaching accurately. So we're talking about an area of misunderstanding rather than a message that is fundamentally different from Christianity. So the question then is, what does that mean? What does it mean that he only knew the baptism of John? Well, we can begin to make sense of this by looking back to the John that we're talking about here, John the Baptist. We see in the gospel accounts that the ministry of John the Baptist served as a forerunner to the ministry of Jesus. And likewise, the baptism of John was a forerunner to the greater baptism of Jesus. John's baptism was something that came before and found its ultimate fulfillment in Christian baptism. What I mean by that is that John taught a baptism of repentance, of acknowledging our sin and our need for forgiveness. But Christian baptism goes further. On this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, baptism represents not only our repentance for our sins, but God's answer to our repentance in Christ. It represents the forgiveness and acceptance that we've received from God when we repent and believe in Jesus. It represents our salvation that's made possible through his death and resurrection. This is a greater baptism. And this is what Apollos needs clarified, uh, the nature of baptism in his teaching. And so Aquila and Priscilla realize this as they hear him preach, and so they kindly, privately take him aside to fill in the gaps in his knowledge. Notice that they kindly, privately took him aside rather than putting him on blast in front of everyone or tweeting at him. Let the hearer understand. <laughs> and by doing this, Aquila and Priscilla serve not only Apollos, not only those who are sitting under his teaching in Ephesus, but also everyone who will sit under his teaching in the future. And for his part, Apollos humbly receives their instruction and continues his ministry in light of this greater understanding. And in the next few verses, we get to see a glimpse at just how far-reaching this impact of Aquila and Priscilla's investment in Apollos is. Because after he serves the church in Ephesus for a time, like Paul before him, he is called to serve elsewhere. And in response to his desire to go to Achaia, the believers at Ephesus 
rather than pressuring him to stay, maybe now because they have experienced how God provides for these needs that arrive in the church, rather than pressuring him to stay, they encourage him and even proactively write to the church in Okea to to make sure they know that he's coming and to commend him to them. And in the final verses of this chapter, we see how much Apollos is able to serve the church, how much he's able to help new Christians there, how powerfully he proclaims Jesus through the scriptures. And so we get to see that his experience in Ephesus, although it was only temporary, and the investment that Aquila and Priscilla made in him, although it was only for a time, served not only Apollos, served not only Ephesus, but also Achaia and every other person that Apollos would ever minister to from here on out. An impact that echoed into eternity. And so, in light of these verses that we've just read and walked through, what does all this mean for us? What what did the truths of these verses mean about how we are to be the church in a transient place? As I said, I I sincerely believe there's a word here for the, the mobile, those of us who might not be here for long, and there's a word here for us who are rooted, who consider this our home, who are here to stay. I'll start first with the mobile crowd, just in case you guys leave before I finish my sermon. (laughs) To those of you who might just be passing through, I want to give you an exciting truth and a hard truth from this passage. The exciting truth is that God has intentionally placed you here now for divine purposes to take part in his incredible mission of redemption and salvation and transformation. And nothing could be more exciting or fulfilling or worthwhile than finding your part to play in what he's doing in Arlington and Alexandria and DC. But the hard truth is that it's possible for you to miss out on it entirely. Here's how you end up missing it. You decide that you're only here temporary. And because of that, there are other things besides the mission of God that should be a higher priority for you while you're here. Or you feel like you probably won't even be long, here long enough to make a real impact, so you don't even try. Or you feel like, yeah, you know, I really should get involved in a church. I really should start serving. I really should check out a community group. I really should share the gospel but you stay passive for so long and you keep saying you should get around to it and and you never do get around to it and three years later, you're moving away and you never did anything about it. And in each scenario, you come and you go and, and you never engage with the greatest things that God had for you here. At the end of the day, what all of these scenarios have in common is that you end up, whether intentionally or not, relating to this area only as a consumer. Meaning that your time here really is only about what you gain. When you look back at your time in Arlington, your time in DC, it was about what you could get out of it. It was about what you could, how you could advance your career, how you could get an education, the relationships you could enjoy, or maybe just all the brunches and concerts and happy hours you could go to. And that can extend to your relationship with the church too, right? only coming to and relating to a church in a way that you just come to receive what the church has to offer you. And ironically, this life as a consumer, it actually can get boring pretty quickly. 
And it ends up being the most valuable things, the things of God and participating in his redemption in his transformation of this area that those things of greatest impact that you end up missing out on when you live only as a consumer. But the great news is that there's actually a really simple way to ensure that you avoid missing out on what God has for you here. Are you ready for it? Commit. I know, it's really scary. It is a scary word for people in their 20s. I feel it. But that is the key. Commit, find a good church, find a community that will point you to Jesus and commit to following him beside those people, whether it's here at Redeemer or another church. Whatever brought you here, commit to jump in and be a part of what God is doing for however long you're here. Don't hear me coming down on you to say, this is something that I'm trying to get out of you. No, this is something I want for you. This is something God wants for you to be able to take part in the incredible life transforming gospel work that's going on here. Intentionally make this shift from only consuming to actually contributing, to actively seeking to be a redemptive presence in the city, in your neighborhood, in your apartment building, in your workplace, in your classroom, in your gym. Seek to contribute to the mission of God and the good of others wherever God has placed you for however long he's placed you there. Have the same attitude we see displayed by Paul as he goes from place to place, even in the complexity of your life. Commit first with simplicity to the things that we know every Christian everywhere is called to. I'm here to share the gospel, to serve the church and to make disciples. The question is, how can I begin to do that? And yes, those, those other things that brought you here, your family, your career, your education, those are not insignificant. Those are important. Those are part of your calling too, and you should pursue those things faithfully. But it's a mistake to pursue them at the expense of the higher purposes God has for you here. God's purposes for your life are not another segment of the pie chart to fit in alongside everything else. I'm still thinking about pie from Thanksgiving. <laughs> No, it, it overlaps. It's the chart itself. All those other little segments of life, they fit into the great purposes that God is calling us to. How do I participate in the mission of God in my career, in my family, in my relationships? And I also want you to remember that in placing you here, God did not just arbitrarily send a body to Arlington, Virginia. He sent you. You with your gifts, your passions, your experiences. If you're wondering how you can start contributing to the mission of God, how you can start serving this church, start there. What are your gifts? What are your passions? And where do they intersect with the needs of our church and our community? I mean, just off the top of my head, I know we need at least one volunteer to help run our slides on Sunday mornings. I know that we need at least one person to join our, our team that serves communion. I know that we're always looking for more volunteers on our Connect team and in our children's ministry and to help with our local ministry partners in the community. Just as God has prepared Apollos specifically to meet this need in Ephesus, he's prepared you to meet a need here. And if you have any questions, you're interested in figuring out what are those needs, how can I get involved, come talk to me, talk to one of our elders or pastors, or come to the Connect table afterwards. We would be happy to answer any questions and help you figure out what this could look like. A few final thoughts before we move on. Here's, here's a few more things we can learn from Apollos. Don't be afraid to learn while you serve. 
Sometimes I think one of the biggest barriers to beginning to serve is that we're like, I don't know if I'll be good at that. I don't know if I can do that perfectly. The truth is, if, if you're waiting until you can do something perfectly to start serving, Jesus is gonna come back before you start serving. <laughs> don't wait, just jump in and let your brothers and sisters help you get better, help you learn, help you grow as you serve. That's the best way to learn. And then finally, this story about Apollos also teaches us that our service here and now is never about just here and now. It's an investment that makes an impact now and in the future. Even though his time in Ephesus was only temporary, during that time, Apollos gained insight and experience and established relationships that prepared him for more faithful, fruitful, and powerful ministry in Achaia, later on in Corinth, and everywhere else that God would take him for the rest of his life. You might not be here long. I pray that some of you think that you're not here long, but you actually decide to stay. But I know that some of you won't be here forever. But you will not regret digging in while you're here. You and this church and this community, and if the time does come for you to move on, your future community will all be the better for your investment and your commitment here and now. And now to the rooted, to those who are here for the long haul, let me say up front, I think it does need to be acknowledged that there are some things about seeking to faithfully be the church in a transient area that, that are just hard, that are tricky. It is hard to continue to care for, invest in people when they keep leaving. It is hard to feel like every few years, so much of your community turns over and you have to start over again with new friendships. Pastors in this area, I've heard them say that their experience here feels like hugging a parade. <laughs> Trying to care for a mass of people that just keeps moving. Even in my four years here and my wife Erin, her five years here, we felt this reality. We've been discipling people only to have them move away right, right when it felt like they were really starting to grow. We've opened up our home and our hearts to people thinking these could be long-term friendships only to have them suddenly take jobs elsewhere. And nothing against them, but sometimes it can be really discouraging. Sometimes it's just confusing. What is the best way to build community and care for others in the midst of this kind of transience? Well, this morning, I want us, I want those of us who feel rooted here to hear a word of exhortation and a word of encouragement. First, I wanna exhort you, church, even in the face of the challenges of transience, not to abandon your love you're calling to love and serve and invest in those who are just passing through. God has intentionally placed him, them here and he's intentionally placed them here with you. Maybe you were nodding your head as, as I was urging the mobile crowd among us to commit. They're like, yeah, Marshall, tell them. They need to commit. <laughs> well, you're called to commit too. To commit to not closing yourself off to relationships with people just because they might not be here long term. To commit to making the most of the time that you have to minister with them. Just as they can miss out on what God has for them by not getting involved, you can miss out on what God has for you by not welcoming and serving and investing in them. Because really, who has God equipped better than you to help them get established here? to help people who are taking their first steps in their career, 
to help people learn how to thrive in a city that's new to them, but home to you. To help them to seek to follow Jesus in a new stage of life that you've walked through already. Just like the mobile crowd is called to stop engaging with this area as consumers, likewise, you are called to stop only looking for relationships as consumers. You are called to stop looking only for relationships that have a clear, tangible, long-term payoff for you. Sometimes God calls us into relationships where we're called to give and serve more than we receive without knowing what we'll end up receiving. Besides knowing that we are loving Christ, we're loving them as Christ loved us and we are loving God and bringing honor to him and pleasing him by loving people in such a way. Now, it does need to be said, it is not wise for your closest community to only consist of people who are constantly leaving. You absolutely should look for and invest in long-term relationships that can provide the kind of stability and consistency that short-term relationships can't always provide. Absolutely, those are crucial, but investing in those relationships does not have to happen to the exclusion of caring for the people that God has entrusted to you just for a season. I think a helpful way to think about it is, I was talking to Paul Curtis about this the other day, this idea of hugging the parade. And I love the way that, that he put it, the way that he thinks about it is that we also have to make sure to find those fellow parade goers. We have to look around and say, well, who else is here at the parade? Not holding the balloon, not in the marching band. We have to find those people that are going to be here and that we can serve side by side with. And then we need to link arms and go down to try to hug the parade together. Redeemer, don't believe the lie that no short-term relationships are worth the time and effort. Don't believe the lie that you can or you should look down on the transient community as if it's less noble to come and to go, as if God doesn't call people to different places and to different seasons. And don't believe the lie that not much can actually come of investing in someone for the short term. We see this in our text this morning. Short-term discipleship of Apollos has an exponential impact for the glory of God, an impact beyond what Aquila and Priscilla could have ever imagined and really beyond what they'll ever be able to see. Here's an encouragement for you. Your, your service and care for a person, for their relationship with Jesus, for their soul, that is never wasted even if you don't get to see it. And sometimes, especially, you know, Aaron and I working in college ministry for the past couple of years, some, we feel this. And, and sometimes God allows us a glimpse. You know, when I get to serve with Andrea Gombe for a year at Duke University, and then a few years later, we're both here serving at the same church. What a gift for God to be able to say, that year with Andre was not wasted. Not that I thought it would be, Andre. <laughs> Sometimes we get that gift, but sometimes we don't. But in those situations where we might not get a glimpse of the impact in eternity, God gives us promises like this passage. God gives us truths like in this passage that your care for them, your investment in them, the time spent walking alongside them and pointing them to Jesus, it's never wasted. It echoes into eternity. So we are called to serve people with the same readiness of Aquila and Priscilla, working for their good and their growth for however long God has them with us. And if God does call them away, if that time does come, 
We shouldn't just sigh and show them the door, but we should be like the church here in Ephesus, encouraging them, sending them off, celebrating that God will now use our investment in them to bless others and to advance his kingdom elsewhere. You see, when we embrace our identity as a church in a transient place, those of us who are rooted here will then more diligently serve one another, our fellow parade goers, and we will also begin to celebrate the opportunity that we have in the midst of a transient place. The opportunity God has given us to be a hub for making disciples in one of the most strategic places from which to send people to proclaim the gospel all over the world. We get to do ministry in a crossroads. This is part of our calling and it's part of how we get to be a part of making Jesus Christ known to the ends of the earth. Our transient city represents, presents us not just with complexity and a complication in ministry, it presents us with an amazing opportunity. As it presents us with something to be stewarded, to make the most of for the glory of God and for his renown to the ends of the earth. If you would bow your heads and pray with me that we would make the most of this opportunity. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for the example of the early church and for how We see them not just a model for us how to be the church, but we also see your faithfulness in leading them and providing for them again and again and again. Lord, we acknowledge to you that living in a transient place brings with it questions and complexities that we're not always sure what to do with. We ask for your help in that. We ask for wisdom. We ask that you would help us as we seek to prioritize and seek to serve faithfully. Those of us who don't know how long we're gonna be here, God, we ask you to help us make the most of this time for your glory, God, not to miss out on the things you have for us while we're here. And for those of us who are here, God, we we ask you to help us learn how to hug the parade, to serve one another faithfully, knowing that it can be challenging and we need to, to take extra care to serve one another and also to help us to see our transient home as such an amazing opportunity to invest in people and then send them and celebrate the sending, to send them to proclaim you and to serve your church wherever you call them from here. That's in your beautiful name we pray, Jesus. Amen.